0: Hey everyone, welcome to season one, episode eight of the Matt Martial Arts Podcast. Uh, another interview I did this week was um, a really important one for me on a couple of different levels. I um, I had the pleasure to interview Richard Bresler, who is Hori and Gracie's first uh, Gracie Jiu Jitsu student here in the US. And Richard has an incredible backstory. And also Richard has written an amazing book worth defending. This is a book that is amazing. If you're into martial arts, if you're into jujitsu, or if you're also just into turning your life around, Uh, it's a book for life. Really. I have, as I told Richard, I've bought probably 10 or 15 copies. I've given them out to friends, family, anybody who really needs some inspiration. And, um, it's cool because we talk about we talk about where Richard was at in his life when he discovered jiu-jitsu and also what jujitsu jitsu has done for him throughout his life. And one of the things that I liked so much was just his conversation style. In a world with so many uh, phonies, you know, putting up a plastic front, Richard is about as real and raw as you can get. You know, you ask him a question, he gives you an honest answer. And he's also just a really nice guy. You know, I consider him... I, I consider him a new friend and, um, I really have a lot of respect for him. And so, uh, I think that this will be a very enjoyable episode because it does, we do touch on the, you know, going back to the early days of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in the U S and some of the things that Richard did to sort of help get that off the ground and, um, talk about his book, obviously. And uh, it was just an overall great conversation. So I will be dropping a link in my bio to uh, so you can check out his book. And uh, if you do end up getting it, reading it, definitely leave him, uh, leave him some positive comments. I know I sure have on Amazon. So anyhow, let's jump into it and um, hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Hey Richard, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm really eager to, uh, to talk about your book and kind of, you know, your life experiences and like what got you into jujitsu and what keeps you training after all these years. And, um, and just, yeah, just, can you just give a quick overview of kind of like what got you into jujitsu?
1: Um, you know, when, when someone says what got me into jujitsu, it's really, it's not really what it's who Um, just that, because I had a you know what looks like a chance meeting with Hoi and Gracie that answered an ad for a waterbed mattress he came to my house and and uh, and uh, bought the mattress got some sheets as he's walking out the, the door he asked me if I've ever done any martial arts and i say no and he and uh, and asked him why well actually i told him i boxed for a little bit but literally enough just so i know how to hold my hands up and throw a punch but um so he started telling about his family and invited me for a free class and uh the free class sold me i mean and the watermelon juice at the end of the class didn't hurt either you know just because he made it fresh and and, you know, there was, he was a very nice, positive guy, very confident. And I just said, you know, I want to, you know, when someone says that my family's been doing the most effective martial art, self-defense for 65 years and we're champions, it's as much as part of me said, oh, yeah, sure, sure, you're, you're from this family, you know, like. And you just told me you don't have a lot of money and you barely can scrape by. And it's like, why aren't you, why don't people know about you? But I still kind of went like, okay, I got to check it out. And the rest is history. I mean, it was, it was, you know, just going over there and having a class and how we presented the class. It just, it sold me. So, you know, my jujitsu, my jujitsu, you know, path begun in July of 1979.
0: What I find so amazing, too, in your book, I mean, your book, I think, is fascinating for anybody, for anybody who's training jujitsu today. I think your book is fascinating because it really goes back to the roots of Gracie jujitsu in America. And, you know, you are student number one in this time where, you know, you start out training in a garage, right? And all of these people who've gone on to literally change the martial arts world, whether it's Horian or Hoyce or or any of the family and Elio, especially, you know, you, you had front row seats for all of that. And you were, you were there. I mean, how does, how was that? Like when you look back on it, does it just seem normal to you or does it, do you realize that you were there like sort of creating history?
1: Well, well, when I look back on it now, I mean, everything, seemed normal in my life um because i mean it was my life it was just like okay i met this guy and it was amazing but i mean it was it was my life I, i never you know i just thought i didn't know that i would teach years later you know, ten years later, and start teaching. I mean, I'm teaching now. This is my thirtieth year of teaching, and you know, I, I just thought I would be doing jujitsu. You know, because one, it was fun; two, it was effective. I became friends with Horan. You know, I helped him with things. I loaned him money. You know, helped him start the academy, and but. No one, I mean, I didn't think about the future and where I would be. You know, like when we started the academy, I didn't think I don't know where I would be. I didn't have any idea. It was it was just it was my life.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. So I've been I've been training with uh Horton, you know with uh, Henner and Hiron for you know nine and a half, ten years now, probably. I started at Beverly Hills and now I'm down at the main academy down in Torrance. And um, it's just amazing to me the explosion in the popularity and just how it just continues to grow and just the, like, emotional benefits, the physical benefits, all of the benefits that you get from, from jujitsu. Was there a certain point where you realized, hey, this is really having uh, this super, like, positive impact on my life?
1: Um, yeah, I think what happened last week um, <laughs> it, it just like I said it I don't I wasn't really keenly aware when it started happening. I, I, my life changed. It changed in a direction that, I mean, I have not worked a full-time job in probably easily 30 years just because, you know, I've had other jobs that I did part-time. I I did jujitsu. I also discovered how to do the kind of work that was done to me by this chiropractor he taught me. So I've had, I've done that part-time. I've taught part-time and been semi-retired. I've, I've done enough where I can make enough money to get by. I was never interested in how much money I could make. I mean, I was interested, but I didn't want a job that I didn't enjoy. I mean, I just when I I got sick back in 1989, a really bad bronchial infection. And it took me it took me out for probably about six weeks. And I saw this chiropractor who also was an acupuncturist. And so he was treating me and he had a library of self-improvement audios. You know, back then there were these little things called cassette tapes.
0: Yep. I've used them.
1: A lot of people won't, you know, there's a few older people that'll remember. But so, and he just, you know, and, and he told me that he belonged to this, this uh, club that was in a swap meet so he said you know check it out so he loaned me some of the tapes to listen to and then i joined the club and every couple weeks i would go and check out a different a different uh you know audio you know brian tracy tony robbins wayne dyer um zig ziglar uh jim Rohn and I just, and one of the, the themes that they kept saying over and over again was find something that you love and then find a way to make some money at it. So it wasn't, it wasn't get a job. And, you know, like my dad, my dad once told me, he said, Richard, you know, cause I said, dad, I don't like the food business. It's aggravating. And he said, Richard, he said, you know, that's okay. You'll be aggravated, but you'll be rich and aggravated. And I said, screw that. That doesn't work for me. I don't care about, you know, I don't want to be aggravated. So, you know, I just, I listened to these things and I went, okay, I don't know how it's going to happen, but that's what I put down in my mind. I'm to, I'm going to find a way I'll, I'll never be able to teach jujitsu. I and mean, that's what I thought. Like, I'd like to be able, but I'll never be able to teach jujitsu. And and I kept listening, and uh, and like I said, I've been teaching now for thirty years. And I think I think I've had some pretty good instruction on how to teach, and I think I'm a pretty damn good teacher. At least that's that's the that seems to be the feedback that I'm getting. Well, so, I think, yeah. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, I I can attest firsthand. Um, It's something that we talked about the other night was you do have a very infectious spirit um, that really sort of like, you know, gets people inspired around, you know, you sit down, you have a conversation with somebody about jujitsu and they, they get reinvigorated. And I know that one of the chapters in the book is, you know, there's no such thing as a bad student. Right. And so can, do you have any, any idea where, that positive, like that positive effect you have on people. Do you have any idea where that comes from?
1: <laughs> First of all, you mean this book?
0: You mean this one? Yeah, <laughs> that's the one.
1: You know, it, it it hang tight. I just want to grab my water. For sure. You know, it comes from Horian.
0: You're back. I was just reading my book.
1: (laughs) You know, Horian, you know, after like, because there's a part in the book where. um, He just got back from Brazil and I went through a really bad binge. Um, Probably my last real bad binge. And uh, the depression that followed the binge was. You know, anyone who does drugs, who uses them consistently, when you stop using them, you go through quite a depression. And uh, and I was depressed, but I, I was still going to jujitsu. But what it does to your brain is something that, you know, it it just creeps on. It becomes you. And so when he would show me things and and in particular, there was a move that I couldn't pull off and his enthusiasm for wanting to get me to do this move even made me feel worse about not being able to do it because he said, like, just how easy it is isn't, like, do, do, do it like We're just like, that. and then I'm like, I couldn't do it. And I'm like, oh, crap. And so. Because I couldn't do it, you know, I I went into that depressive kind of, you know, poor little Richard. He sucks. He's never going to get good. And uh, I went out to my car and, um, you know, I kept thinking about it. And, you know, I started crying and I'm like, you know. I'll never get any good. I suck. I don't know why I keep doing this. And and so I'm sitting in my car for, you know, 10 minutes, sobbing, thinking about it. And Horian saw me and he came out and he said, what's the problem? And I told him, I said, you know, I said, why are you wasting your time with me? I mean, I'm never going to learn this. Uh, It's obvious. Look, I mean, this was my evidence, you know, here he shows me something one time and I can't pull it off. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I mean, when I look back at that, I realize how ridiculous my thinking was. But that's the brain of a person who was doing drugs. So when Horian said to me, you know, everybody, you know, will learn when they're supposed to learn. And that's when he said, there's no, you know, there's no such thing as a bad student. And I, and like I've said before to people, I honestly thought that he was lying because he needed money and he needed to teach jujitsu. And he would lie to me just so I would come back, you know? I mean, that's when my brain and I went like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, like maybe, but yeah, there's no such thing as a bad student, but me, I'm the bad student. And, uh, and then after when I saw a, a brilliant therapist, who was outcome oriented, didn't care about what was happening at the time per se, it's what do you want to happen? And he kind of said the same thing, is he said that a lot of teachers aren't flexible enough to teach the way people need to learn. And so that kind of attitude is still something that even in any communication with somebody. I remember the one thing that Dr. Dossi said to me. And he said, the meaning of the communication, the meaning of any communication is the response that you get, not the intent. So you can have great intentions, but if you're not getting a good response from the people who you're dealing with, you can say to them, well, you don't understand me. And put it all back at them and say the same thing and go, what? You don't understand me. I just told you again. And if they're not getting a good, you're not getting a good response, we have to alter our behavior, alter the way we're communicating. Easier said than done. But it gives it puts the responsibility back on me. And takes it off the student or the client or anybody that I'm dealing with. Am I always successful? <laughs> Hell no. But I still like to operate from that from that that uh, frame of reference. It, so, it
0: takes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it takes so much confidence and courage on the instructor's behalf to own to own the success of the student, right. And I'm sure that there are some there are definitely some outliers where people just simply don't show up and they don't they don't do the things. But for the instructor to take ownership of that and to the flexibility that you mentioned, right? The instructor needs to be very, very flexible to each person's personal struggles, personal timelines and circumstances and whatnot. I mean, I think that that's one of the things that in training jiu-jitsu with the Gracies has really opened my eyes to is how confident and flexible and patient that my instructors have been with me. Because that scene in the book was something that hit very, very close to home for me because I remember when I first got my blue belt, I was really struggling and I felt like I couldn't do anything right. And I was very down about it and i had a very similar conversation with another instructor obviously it wasn't horian and he was like no no you need to recalibrate your definition of success for me my definition definition of success is to simply make it to class and come and train and do my best it's made a world of difference for me yeah so so in so in your book i mean it is a it is a very powerful very intimate and and sort of raw illustration of that journey that you've gone through and is there any part where you look back now is there any part where you could say wow i really wish that i could have enjoyed this part of my training and just knew that it was going to be okay i guess my thing is if you had the journey to do over again uh would there be any certain parts of the journey you'd be looking most forward to
1: um you know there was a guy um that just he he was at the uh the black belt event at the gracies a couple weeks ago and he's a black belt obviously and he he i I don't know if he has a podcast but he he for her instagram he, he i forgot the guy's name or i don't know how to spell it or pronounce it Anyways, he was asking people like, you know, who you who you are and how old you are and how you feel. And, and if you had to tell your white belt something going back, you know, like what kind of advice? And one of the things that I said to him was, and I'm sure you've heard this, it's like you either win or you learn. Yes. Well, and, and I understand when they say that. But just like that first thing that happened when I went out to my car and was sobbing, obviously I didn't win. And I didn't see it as that I was learning. I saw it as that I was a failure and that I couldn't learn. So if I had to go back and really infuse this guy right here with something that would be, you need to believe this because it's true. And get those thoughts of failure out of your head because the only true way that you fail and I'm sure you've heard this is not by sh- by not showing up. And you know, it but it took me a long time. I mean a hell of a long time because it was always it was rooted in the outside what was happening in my in my reality because I was so ADD that when I go to class started really in junior high school where you know taking taking exciting subjects such as history and geography, you know, and you know what? I look back at some of the history. I really wish that I would have been more interested. I wish I would have had better teachers. Yes. Yes. But, you know, but because I wasn't interested, in, you know, I, I they'd sit down, okay, read this chapter. I'd go home and I'd, you know, I'd pick up a book and I'd go like, well, it sure is a nice day out there today, you know? And I'd come back the book and I'm going, well, that's enough time to go outside. I mean, you know, my brain would just be all over the place. I, it was very hard for me to even my own book. People have told me they've read it like three or four times. And I'm going, wow, I struggled to get through it once. Even <laughs> with my life, you know, Scott captured it. And it. It's not something that I, it's not something that I do, you know, that's not my, my strength. So when you look at what you're getting on the outside and you tell yourself certain things like, Oh, I'll never be able to learn. That's where I came from. So a person tells me something, honestly, I had, I had teachers more than Hori and other people that when they told me that I said, and I told them, I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to learn this. And they said, you know hogwash he said you know so it took me a while before i really believed that and it would have been nice if i could just infuse it and get and bypass all the resistance of of the internal voice that's telling you something about your life i mean i've talked to other people about this i said it's not real It is not real. It's just what this thing called your brain does. It spits out information. Doesn't have to be real or not. And and I've talked to people about fear and the whole thing. And I said, wait a second, how do you know you're afraid? That's one of the biggest things. And, And I've given the example of two people go up to a roller coaster. One is like really scared, and the other one's going, oh man, that's great. That's exciting. And you get off the roller coaster. And the guy person, I'm never going on that again. That scared the shit out of me. And the other person goes, Oh my God, it's exciting. Let's do it again. So, what's the meaning of the roller? Is it is it you can be personally scared of it, but it's you know, it it's it's what we tell ourselves, and it can be scary and exciting. So, you know, it's it's all Believing. And and so, like I said, it's a long winded answer for a simple question, but bypassing the resistance and just saying, yes, just do it. Don't pay attention to that little thing over here on the shoulder that keeps telling you you suck. Well,
0: that's that's a good one. Right. I think that's probably one of the biggest changes that I've seen in my own personal life since training jujitsu is the and I saw a very funny meme one time on Instagram and it said, Either you win or you learn. And it said, I'm on a hell of a learning streak. And it showed somebody getting choked. And, and it made me laugh. It made me laugh out loud. But the internal dialogue is, you're right, it's, it's not real, but it can impose some very real limitations on your life when you start believing it, right, and feeding into it. And like you were saying is, you know, oh, here's another time. I'm not going to do it. I told you I couldn't do it. But finding a teacher that says, no, 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 that's the easy way out. You could do this. And then having the teachers like, you know, a middle school history teacher who, you know, doesn't necessarily care. Yes, student, it is your failure. You know, I'm the teacher. I know this. It's your failure. As opposed to middle school student, why are you not getting the material? Am I not putting it to you the correct way? That's a a massive mind shift. And I think that it would be important for people to recognize that. And to start realizing that their potential can be so much more than listening to the negative voice in their head. Right. Yes. So so when I when I think about, you know, some of these some of these things, like the way that jujitsu has really evolved. Right. So in some ways, definitely for better, you know, it's like, you know, jujitsu is available probably more now than ever before, at least in America. And it sometimes takes on a very personalized flair, right? And, and academy culture, school culture has a lot to do with it, right? Um, so when you think about like a really good school culture, what what does that look like to you? Um,
1: you know, that's it, a it's a hard I don't know if I can really adequately give the description of what it looks like to me other than the kind of information, the kind of um, education that I got. But for me, it depends on the kind of school that you go to. And, and this is, and this goes, back to the whole thing about where are we, uh, what kind of, what do you want to get out of jujitsu? What's your number one goal to get out of jujitsu? You know, I, I was, I saw somebody on Instagram, I forgot who it was, you know, because one of the things that I started saying, I, I, I was the first person that I heard say this. And And I think most people that do jujitsu, the majority are hobbyists. It's a hobby. They're not going to enter into the UFC. They're not going to become world champions. The majority are just doing it for fun. It's a hobby. It's something that you enjoy. Yeah, you're learning something great from it. And I heard someone say, like, stop saying you're a hobbyist. Well, you know, whatever you want to say, but most people are, so we don't need to put pressure on ourselves. I mean, there's some schools that are sport, you know, and they're going, no, get back there, train, 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 train. I'm like, wait a minute. One of the most important things about training, especially as you get older, is how much rest you get in between training sessions, any kind of training, you have to get at it it was you that I was talking to about that. We were talking
0: uh, about this the other night about needing to rest and intelligently. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and I think a lot of schools are really pushing, you know, train hard, train hard. And I see people saying, well, you know, should you go to class if you're injured? You know, that, that's a different thing. You can always go and learn and by watching and maybe even just depending on how bad your injury is, and not roll, but don't shame somebody for not going. If they, if they don't want to go, If you know, and, and especially if they keep getting injured, look, one, of I, I recently promoted somebody about a couple of weeks ago. Guy's been with me for a while. He's a purple belt. Very good. 35 years old built. You know, he's a little shorter than I am. Weighs about 150 pounds, very relaxed, very technical he was rolling last night in class and he rolled with a guy who had about oh 100 plus pounds on him and the guy is rolling and and they're both rolling easy but you know the bigger guy you know when you're that much bigger you have to be aware of your mass and he is i've gotten to get him to slow down he's a He's a blue belt and climbing because, you know, one, he's he, he's a younger guy. He's, I think he's 30 years old. Anyways, so as they were rolling, the bigger guy grabbed his ankle. And as he grabbed, he kind of, and he was standing, the, the bigger guy was on the ground. And he started to spin around him. And I, and he goes, oh, and he, like his knee, he just felt like a little snap. So, You know, injuries happen. They happen even when you're protective. It's just the nature of it. But I think that when people get injured and and their coach tells them to, like, really, like, come on, get in there. Just show up. And, you know, it depends. Like I said, if it's a hobby, you want to do something you're enjoying. You don't want to be, you know scolded or shamed for not showing up or made to feel bad if you're tired and need to rest and i think that's a lot of schools and you know that's why i like about you know where where i came from you know whether it be from the garage with horian to you know and then even after horian i mean i, I was lucky enough to be taught you know had, i had private classes with horian quite a few with hickson you know, a couple with Hoyce, hoiler. you know, the old man. Um, people go, who's the old man at that? You're talking about yourself? No, this was Grandmaster Elie Gracie. You know, so, and I was never made to feel, you know, bad if I get injured. I mean, I, I remember one of the conversations like, you know, that, that Horian had with his ex-wife, you know, that he, he would say, you know, well, Richard keeps getting injured. Well, it's the nature of the beast. But, you know, it's the way my body is. Can't help it. Now that I'm older, I'm glad that I didn't put more into it. I'm glad that I rested when I did get injured. But, you know, the Gracie University, to me, is just a prime example of how they, you know, if you want to be a certain way, you can train hard. But if you want to do it as a fun type thing and as a great self-defense, you know, you're not really pushed. And I've seen too many other coaches be the opposite as I've gotten to look. You know, there's there's a few schools that aren't, but the majority, I think, is. So, ideally, you know, these guys are coming to learn. They, they want good instruction and they want to to train in a safe environment, as safe as possible. But
0: Gracie University was the one that I had in mind when, when I think that's obviously that's where I train, right? And that's that's what I think is sort of like the epitome of, of good culture to me, because you're right. There are certain days where maybe I'm, you know, I'm tired from work, I've had a long day, I want to come in, but I still want to see my friends, I want to roll you know, get in some light roll, definitely, you know, train technique and keep up the consistency on other days I have more energy and I want to push a little bit harder. Maybe it's a Friday night. I can sleep in the next day and you can find that, that wide range of, um, that wide spectrum of, of how intense do you want to go? And, you know, you have partners who become very good friends who are also on the same page. And that was, that was, that's definitely my picture of, of good culture. Um, So, in in writing your book, right, and in, in thinking about putting your book together, like I said, it's um it's a very, very personal, raw, emotional book. In writing it, did you have any hesitations where oh maybe I shouldn't share this? Or did you say nope? I'm just putting it out there, just raw and unfiltered.
1: Well, I don't know if I when I spoke to you last week, um, if I said this to you, but, you know, if I'm asked privately about certain situations, about how I started and what, where I was and and, you know, having just a one on one conversation, I would, you know, I'm pretty much what you see is what you get. In other words, if you ask me something, I'm, you know, I don't think there's any. There's anything good about hiding who you are. And so, you know, I told people that, yeah, I've had issues with drugs and, you know, and I tell them my life and a lot of people say like you, you know, because, you know, I'm so conscious of what goes in my body right now. But 40 years ago, it really wasn't like that. You know, I mean, I was starting. That's when I started to wake up. Um, Well, I woke up a little before that, but I really started making those changes then. Um, Remind me your question. I just had a brain thing.
0: No, no, no problem. But actually, but that was that was golden. Right. And I think that the question I had is, you know, you really you really shared from some from some deep places. Right.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So when I did tell the story, sorry. No, no worries. Kind of like went, "Mm, (laughs) let's make you look bad. No problem. When you tell your story to one person, it's like, okay, what's the worst that they might tell somebody? Did you know he had a drug problem? But you tell, like, you put it out there and it's like, wow. Like, because I've had, I've given this, you know, book to, I mean, My neighbor actually, he bought a copy and, and other friends and people have come back like this one neighbor who knows me. We never really had like super intimate conversations. We would just talk a little bit and share stuff, but he read my book and a week later he saw me downstairs in the gym and he goes, wow, Richard, he says that you were so vulnerable in that book. And like I said, if I had a conversation with you, I would share just as much if you asked me the pertinent questions. So to put it out there on that kind of a scale, I was a little self-conscious about how it would be received, but I've had nothing but positive reactions to this book. And and I'm glad that I did it. You know, because, you you know, you see, like, actors on TV, people in the public eye, you know, oh, yeah, I had a drug problem, I did this, you know, and I'm like, wow, to share that, you know, it's great that they, they're they overcoming, but when it's you, it's like, wow, but, you know, this was this was my reality. You know, it's, it's I, I'm proud of myself for the changes that I've made in my life. I mean, when I look back, like probably now forty-five years ago, and to see the rut that I was in, you know, just the consistent drugs and being unhappy, and what, like, wow, I, I, I could not imagine living the rest of my life with that kind of, you know, not having a a, a direction or just eating you know, here I was in the fast food business. I didn't really give a damn what I ate. Like, unfortunately, like a, like a lot of our society now, we don't realize the power of that. You know, I mean, we all know that, like, you know, oh, don't give the dog that, it might make him sick. You know, so one of their animals, oh no, you don't want to give him that because, you know, like, wait a second, but, oh, it's okay. Because a human being is something different. Oh, we can go to McDonald's, not to pick on them per se, because Burger King, Taco Bell, they're all, you know, they're all, you know, it's, it's garbage. It is absolute poisonous garbage to ingest that stuff. And I, and I was doing it on a regular basis because your body is an amazing thing and it can get by on that. That's the thing. We can get by, but the problem is, you see how many people are, you know, first of all, overweight, diseased, you know, and, and the scientists go, oh, we're, we found a cure for cancer. We're, we're thinking that a vaccine, a vaccine will, you know, will like, wait a second, how about calling a spade a spade and saying, look, it's these types of foods that are causation factors. So, you know, it, it's it's approaching things at a different level. So when I see that, that meeting with Horian, also when he talked about the Gracie diet and he gave me that first glass of watermelon juice and then at a different time I came back and he made me, you know, most of us, especially back when I was a kid, well, and I'll say kid because I was, you know, 27, 28 years old. When we think of getting a glass of apple juice, we'll look at, especially, and I'm talking back then, we would go back and, you know, moths, treetop. Yeah, treetop. There you go. And you'd get a glass apple juice from a glass jar, you know, and it was clear, you know. So when he made me a fresh, he took like three or four apples peeled them, had a plastic grater, grated it by hand in a bowl, and then took the bowl and dumped the whole contents into a cloth bag and squeezed. I mean, here, this is as fresh as you can, and it's not a juicer. I mean, it's not a a juicing machine because he didn't have enough money to buy one. And he made me, and I'm going like, whoa. I mean, it kind of like, wait a second. This is apple juice. This is the way we're supposed to have, you know, what we're supposed to do, whether it's fruits or whatever it is, it's whole foods. It's out of the package, out of vegetable oils, which are absolute garbage for you. It, it completely revamped the way that you look. I mean, a lot of people see me now and they go, "Wow, oh, Richard, you haven't changed in, you know, 20 or 30 years and uh, I was, oh yeah, I have. <laughs> I mean but okay, so do I look like the average person who's 71? I said, no, I mean I still most of my hair is is brown, a little bit of gray hair. I still have hair, you know, which may be not all, you know. I think that my hair being brown has something to do with my diet. Not having hair could be genetic but also it's 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 you know people look a certain way because of what they put in their body period i mean genetics i'm sure has a factor but when people i never get guessed for my age
0: oh yeah yeah
1: you know it it's my whole life changed and i if i could not imagine where i would be today without these kind of changes, changes in what I put in my body and and learning how to deal, learning how to be able to have a chance if I get into a fight to protect myself, the confidence that I learned from this. And to have something where I can pass and teach to someone else.
0: So th- that's the thing right there. The the one of the things that you touched on is, um, well, actually there's a couple of different things. I have to admit there are a couple of different paths. The the reason why I bought multiple copies of your book and given to good friends was not for like the historical jujitsu perspective, which is super cool. Like reading about the origins of jujitsu here in the US. It's super cool. I love this story. Most of the time I've given the books to friends, it was because they were in a rut in their life. Right. And it was like it was like the domino effect. Maybe they didn't like their work situation or their life situation. And then the habits that they had trying to sort of numb down their dissatisfaction with life was putting them in a bad place. And so it's kind of like you, you know, you did go through and you you walked the walk. You got yourself out of your rut. And I know that when we were talking the other night, we were talking about. Jitsu was that catalyst for you, but you were also ready to change, right? And it's like sometimes it's believing you can do it is such a big thing. So when I would when I would get the book and I give it to my friend, I'm like, here, like read this, right? And it's they walk away with different perspectives of, you know, you know beating addiction, right? And you know taking control of your life, and having small but very good habits that build up over time because to your earlier point, which is a really good one, I think that there are a lot of people who are very into short-term fixes for everything. Okay, it's like, you know, heart disease. Well, here, take this pill. Well, you can also fix it if you get in front of it early with a good healthy diet, good exercise, and just sort of live clean life. So that is a super powerful aspect. And I guess when it comes to creating those habits or better yet maintaining those habits, how much of an impact did your peer circle changing have on you?
1: Well, I mean, the people that I when I started jujitsu, I was hanging out with a bunch of people who I was basically getting high with. You know, that that was our, you know, those were the friends that I had. Yeah. You know, I was also dealing on a very small, you know, I, I hate to say dealing, it's just that, you know, I didn't like to pay for my own drugs. So I would buy, you know, I would buy in bulk, not like, not like, you know, not like I had, you know, armed guards and, you know, it's like if I wanted, you know, an ounce of pot, I said, okay, maybe if I buy a pound and when this person wants something so I can get my own stuff paid for statute of limitations, I think for marijuana, you know, dealing is I think it, you know, doesn't span like, you know, more than a few years. So, i'm good um but you know like with quaaludes you know i I would buy 100 and sell 80 of them just so i can have my drugs paid for um again here here what and i and i left my what was the point of the, of me saying this?
0: So your your peer group, like I am, I am. Thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um.
0: But the other was inter- interesting too, for sure.
1: Yeah, but, but you know, so the guys that I was hanging out with, it, they liked me because you know, one of for a certain amount of a period, and I think the book refers to it. I was known as the Candy Man. And uh, but when I stopped, when my lifestyle changed and that went on for, you know, year and a half, two years. But when my lifestyle changed. I didn't really need I didn't buy like that anymore, which means that I wasn't the person one. I didn't want to be around people who were getting high all the time. anymore. So right. and I realized that, you know, from a lot of the the audios that i was listening to it's like you want to you know look at the people that you're associating with and because you become you i was told a long time ago another wisdom from dr Dasi. he said that you can you cannot not be influenced Every single thing in your life that you're around, and if you're around something for a lot, you're going to be influenced. You either are the influencer or you're the influenced, period. You're not neutral. So be careful about who you're associating with because you will become a product of that environment. So I realized that I didn't, you know, it's not that the guys I was with were bad guys, they just, I had no interest in getting high anymore, you know, after a while. So had to find different people to associate with. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it yeah, yeah, so, and, and I think that making the transition, is so many factors. There's so many things involved because you know, everyone, when we make a a new goal in our life, let's say we want something and if we don't get it, whether we want to change our diet or whatever, if all of a sudden we do something and, and we slip back into our old way temporarily it's probably the biggest thing is what do you do with those types of thoughts? And that's what stops people. That's what keeps people coming back because they will, like with me, I, oh, I, you know, for whatever thing you say to yourself when you, I mean, cause when I wanted to change my diet, you know, and I had a, you know, living with Horian for a year, I had, it was so much easier for me to do that then when you talk to somebody and you share a meal with them and you give them a little, but when you're eating meals with somebody, at least twice a day, Corey and I would either eat breakfast together or eat dinner together, just depending on the day. If, if he was teaching, you know, we'd probably eat at about the same times. So it's very influenced for me to be around him like this. So when I, when he would leave and if all something, you know, I still had those cravings and still have those habits, but it's, and even when I, when I stopped using drugs, if I slipped and got high, I would, you know, it's a lot of people, what they do is they beat themselves up. And, you know, again, it, it, it it's something that because our brains see us at a failure, weren't it? we don't see it as we're learning. We see it as, Oh, I slipped. I sucked. Oh, man, I'm, 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 I, I'm such an idiot. I mean, it's those kinds of things. So, it- I mean, someone asked me about if I wrote a second book, you know, they said, oh, I want to hear more stories. Yeah. It wouldn't be Jitsu. It would be how to make that change and go forward and how to deal with that, that critical thinking voice that is a part of you and me and everyone else out there how to deal with that
0: i would personally love to read that book because it's an interesting point right the either the immediacy or the permanence of of an issue or the ability to learn like if you know if somebody backslides you know it's er- it's early in the new year and i'm sure a lot of resolutions have already been broken and you're right there's two ways to look at it i suck this always happens to me i shouldn't even set a resolution versus okay well listen I slipped up but where did I slip up so I can be better next time right and if you're if you're with a more positive peer group then then you can you can gravitate towards that as opposed to constantly having those potential pitfalls you know around every corner and so so going back like to to something completely different but something we talked about the other night which I thought was super cool was the the need for fundamentals in jujitsu right and it's the need for fundamentals. And there is like this sort of sacred service that, a, that a jujitsu instructor, uh, you know, is is providing to their students when they're talking about self-defense. Do, do you want to talk about just like the need? And I don't know if there's really even a question in there, but it's just like, can I get your thoughts on like, like the value and the importance of under of uh, really understanding the fundamental techniques and sort of like, their, their role as being building blocks in future training is a, did, did that question make sense?
1: Um, yes okay so, I, This is something I'm really passionate about is that there, there was a, a guy that I met about a year ago who read my book and he contacted me via instagram and he said i'm he said i i am a writer and i'm writing a story for la magazine about the fighting scene in california and he said after reading your book he said you're kind of at the forefront i'd love to interview you so i said yeah sure i said you know we're good and uh, and i didn't know where he was So I I think I told you this and he said he's in Santa Monica and he also was on fourth street. So we met and so, and he's a 65 year old white belt and he, you know, but he's bigger, you know, he was, we met at Gold's gym where he works out and, you know, and he's like a 65 back then, you know, maybe one stripe white belt, but you know, six foot, to 205 you know solid guy. Oh, Still guy solid and he was training at a local school here i won't mention any names but um hi i'm on a podcast right now i can't talk OK. So he he was training at school and, you know, and and, uh, you know, so we've gotten to be friends over the years, over the over the year. And a few months ago, he said, oh, yeah, Richard, he says, so today we learned how to, you know, defend the triangle. And I said, that's good. And he says, yeah, except I don't know the triangle. I really don't know how to do it. I said, okay. And they said, we also learned to defend the rear naked choke. So I really don't know how to do the rear naked choke. So, and that's the problem is that there's not enough places that offer beginning curriculum for fundamentals, for the foundational moves of jujitsu. You just kind of go into a class and it's kind of a hodgepodge of, you know, different levels, and you might come in one week and learn the defense for the triangle. And it might be your first time in class, it might be your, you know, your fourth month in class. But basic fundamental things, Americana arm like Kimura, guillotine, stuff like that. There is such a need for it. I, I also taught a private student a few months ago could have even been a year ago he came in with one of my students and you know she goes Richard I, I want to bring my, my friend in and this guy you know is quite a bigger guy and uh so he hadn't done jiu in a while and I said where did you train he goes I trained at this local place and I said okay how long you were there I don't know maybe six months and then he said I was off because of the pandemic and then I'm you know, ran into one of the teachers there and he's a brown belt and I started working with him. How many classes do you have? Uh, I don't know, maybe eight, 10 classes. I said, okay, so he comes and takes a private. I said, so, I said, show me the collar choke. He goes, I don't know the collar choke. I said, okay, show me the guillotine. I don't know the guillotine. He so show me the triangle. You know, you had private classes, you've had, you know, Beginning classes or, or classes for a few months, I don't know this. I'm like, I was so frustrated teaching this guy. And I said, first of all, I said, I'm not frustrated with you. Just so you know that. I said, I'm more frustrated and angry at the person who is teaching you. He says, yeah, because we're working on, you know, like uh, some guard passing. Great. But how about learning some basic stuff? I mean, and this goes back to where when I was over, when I started teaching at Krav Magat, you know, 20 some odd years ago, um, guys would come in from different schools. I remember one guy came in and he was training uh, footlocks at a, you know, at, do you know who Gokor is? Yeah. Okay, well, he was training at Gokor's place. and. You know, he was there for a few months and and he got to, you know, learn like leg locks and foot locks. And he came in and he couldn't catch anybody. And then about six months of being in my class, just showing him how to set the stuff up, showing him the fundamentals for this, he started catching people. So the problem is, again, a long winded story for the problem is that the Gracie Academy has combatives you can come in and learn the basic fundamental self-defense core types of moves in that class if your school doesn't give you a basic fundamental class to start in or to have a fundamental instructor you're kind of you're missing a lot and You know, it's something that I see more and more and, you know, like the boys over there and I'm sure Hoyler, I'm sure there's a few other guys that, that are, that are, that are very, you know, have fundamentals, but not enough of them. And it's really frustrating. I don't want to learn the fancy stuff before I learn the, the core fundamental stuff.
0: That's a really that's a really good point. And that's kind of like what I was trying to get to because a major motivator for me here with the podcast is for people either who have never trained or people who have trained in the wrong type of school and have misconceptions about jujitsu, right? Because it's very easy if you know, if you go to a school that doesn't really have a foundation and you train for six months or you train for a year and you still don't understand the fundamentals. And that can be very confusing because the fundamentals are the building block for everything. Right. And so, yeah. So thank you. I I think that that's something that, that the Gracie's have done really, really well is structuring through, you know, structuring through combatives and also with master cycle, you know, it's, it's module it's chapter based and you know, what chapter you're going to train and you get good repetition on the, on the foundational and also the sort of the enhanced slices. And so, that's, that's definitely a big thing for me is, is having the foundational stuff in place before trying to get too fancy.
1: Absolutely yeah you know and and, and I'm working on with that one guy whose uh, name is Tom. He, we're we're working on a curriculum to kind of to you know to present to school owners, so maybe they might be interested in having a, you know, a couple classes a week where it just shows people like the core stuff, you know, escape from the position, all these little basic type position that that need to be understood and learned. Before you start showing the defense for it, how about showing the move?
0: Yeah, and when you understand the move, it makes the defense that much easier, right? Because you understand the context of it. Yes. So so, uh, so we're running. So I want to be very respectful, uh, respectful of your time as well. And so I think we just have a few minutes left to go. Were there any, uh, and also for my listeners, I'm definitely going to put a link to Richard's book. It is a absolute must read. I'll put a link to the book. Uh, richard socials and whatnot i would strongly suggest you check it out um but richard before before we go were there any other like last points to raise and also i'd love to have you on as many times uh, because i i literally could talk all day about this stuff with you i find it fascinating but i also find it very insightful and very responsible and useful for for jiu practitioners people in life, just in life. So I would love to have you on absolutely anytime you wanted to come on. Um, but were there any other sort of like last, last thoughts or last things you wanted to drop?
1: You know, I was, I guess, you know, I'm glad that you said you gave it to the book to people that maybe definitely were not jujitsu people because I spoke with a, a woman, uh, couple days ago who I knew from back when I was working in Topanga Plaza. So this was back in in the um gosh, 70s. Before before jujitsu. When they used to have
0: an ice rink in the place, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. I used to play
0: hockey there sometimes.
1: Yeah. So you know there was a, a girl who worked next door in the bank. And we got to be pretty friendly and I'd, we'd always talk. And so when she left, you know, I, you know, we lost touch. She went on with her life. She got married, had kids um, and, you know, lost her husband last year. So, you know, I said, hey, let's have a conversation. So we, you know, we talked for a little bit and uh, and she told me that she has a book club. And I said, you know what? you might want to look at my book because it's not just a book about jujitsu. Cause I dated a girl that worked in Topanga Plaza up. She was a, up at Kenny's shoe store, like a long time ago. I mean, we're talking when I was like, gosh, maybe 24 years old and, uh, and her and I stayed friends throughout the years She's been married now for probably thirty years, and you know she and she's an avid reader. I mean, this woman probably reads close to a half a dozen books a month. And she read my book, and she goes, Wow, well, Richard, I learned much more about you after reading this book." She goes, "I learned about jujitsu, and I learned other parts of your life." And she goes, this was a really, it's not a a jujitsu book. It's a book that talks about jujitsu, but there's so many different aspects of this book. And, you know, a book about positive change in your life and, and personal struggles and, and that you can do it. So I just, I just, I'm glad that, that, uh, and I, and I, you're not the first people saying that i have given this book. And when I was, talking to scott originally about this book he goes richard you have something here and i went well yeah 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 yeah." you know i I never thought that this would be something that you know people would be inspired by and and i've become extremely proud of the book and and uh and i'm glad I'm, i'm i'm pleased that you're buying them for for friends Because not just those people, but I think that, you know, when I've asked certain people going to school, I go, do you guys, you know, in jiu-jitsu, I go, do you know the name Hori and Gracie? And they go, no. And I'm like, wow. They should. This is 43 years ago. I says, this is the reason you're here. And, and some would say also because of my help with them that, you know, because I supported, you know, helping with the, You know, look, I, I loaned money to Horian early on to help him out. The money for the academy, the money for the UFC or part of the money for the UFC. I mean, you know. I never thought about it as like, Oh, this will come back to me. Like it's just like this What I, I wanted to see jujitsu. So to be part of this, I think is amazing. And, uh, and, and as far as coming back on your podcast, anytime, I, I love to talk about this. I want more people to know about this book and we have a huge, I mean, look, we've sold, you know, under 5,000 units between audio and whatever. There's more than a million people worldwide that do jiu-jitsu. At least, at least... Countless, le-
0: countless, others who need it, whether they train jiu-jitsu or they're never going to train jujitsu. is a book for life, for sure.
1: Right, but, be- and because of jiu-jitsu too, especially in the U.S., I mean... <laughs> it's out there and I'm glad that we have people like such as yourself that are sharing this. And I appreciate that. And I'll send you your residual check. It won't come anytime soon, <laughs> but uh no, no, I appreciate that. And, and like I said, I, I'd be happy to come on, you know? So.
0: Like I said, I, I really, I really appreciate you and your generosity and just your insights and it's when I was trying to explain to one of my friends, when I gave him the book, I said to me, it's the most powerful type of self-help book because it's not a glossy, Hey, my life is perfect. And I'm writing from this position of I've never made a mistake in my life. And here's how you can be like me. You're like here, this is where I was. This is how the whole thing you know, unfolded. Do with this, what you want, right? Like never in the book where you preachy, you're too humble, in my opinion. Um, I will definitely continue to spread the word. And what was funny, if you want one quick piece of trivia, is my first copy that I bought a long time ago, I gave to Sam Fernandez. And because Sam, I consider Sam a friend. And I said, Sam, I said, this book blew my mind. And he's like, Oh, I wanted to check this out. So Sam had my original copy. And yeah, I've got I've got multiple copies around the house. And I've definitely handed out, I would say I'm probably about 15 books in now. Wow. Yeah. Thank you yep and I've written some reviews too. That's for sure. when people read the book they have to write a review.
1: Yeah, you know what I appreciate that too it's it's something that because I get a lot of people to come back to me they'll send me messages and they'll thank me and I, you know and the one of the, and I appreciate that. but I say, look if you appreciate it the thing that you can do to help me is please leave a review on Amazon because those things are so powerful. Because, you know, it, it it's nice to, because what we'd like to do eventually, the goal is to be picked up by a publisher. Yes. Where, where they can do some marketing instead of us doing this. And if we don't, great, it doesn't happen. I never, ever thought that it was going to go any further than, you know, maybe selling a few hundred copies.
0: It's, but it's I, too good not to it's too good to not be picked up nationally, you know, and that's in, and obviously I have no vested interest in saying that, but I do have a deeply personal interest in saying that because I believe that it can really change people's lives for the better. Um, so on that on that happy note, Richard, thank you so much for taking your time out to do this. And I uh, definitely look forward to having you back on again.
1: Sounds good. Look forward to coming back anytime.
0: Awesome.